Good morning. Welcome, Friends Church. Um, Thank you for that uh, great start to our morning here. My name is Alita. I'm part of the charitable giving team here at Friends Church. So I just want to say welcome to a fresh new year. It's January. We're so glad to be starting up again. Um, Charitable giving is uh, part of what keeps Friends Church going so that we can be doing all of the amazing work that we do here. Um, If you're new here, then welcome. And if you're returning, then maybe it's time to look at your charitable giving. You can um, donate online. We have um, a new updated app, the Spiritual Gym. That's a great way to give to. We love those automatic deposits because then it just goes in and we don't have to think about it. I always like to look at that at this time of the year and see if... I can make a little bump uh, now in the new year. Um, If you're more of a paper person, you still like to write checks, then we have our black box at the back where you can do so there. Um, After our message this morning, we have a discussion group just down the hall in the library conference room. So if you want to join that discussion group, we'd love to see you there. Thanks, Alita, and thanks, Ben. That last song is going to make even more sense in a half hour. I was doing some research recently. Uh, My search was um, evil people who are rich in Google. (laughs) These are things I search for. So I'm going through the list of these people and, and reading people who do horrible things to make money and then people who have a lot of money and use that money to do horrible things. And I'm reading through the list, and it's just getting more and more depressing until I hit one name. Richest people in the world. Vladimir Putin. I was like, is there more than one Vladimir Putin? The man responsible for the invasion of a sovereign country, Ukraine, the man responsible for the deaths of somewhere north of 10,000 Ukrainian soldiers, some estimate more than 100,000 Russian soldiers, who's killed thousands and thousands of civilians. Over 4 million people have left Ukraine just to be safe. That man is getting rich during this? Does that seem fair to you? Why is it that people can do such horrible things and get ahead? If we flip it around the other way, think about the people who do good. I'll tell you a funny story. Um, it's, it's about the death of my mom. It doesn't, I don't mean to be... <laughs> That's going to be awkward. I just stuffed that line, didn't I? (laughs) Rewind like 10 seconds, forget what I just said, and start now. My mom, uh, the healthiest eater I know, ate salad with everything. I I would hate taking her to fast food because she would always give the minimum wage cashier crap for not having whole wheat buns on their burgers. Like, mom, we're a dairy queen. They don't care about health here. But Vince, they should have whole wheat buns. Mom, I think you're missing the point. 65 years old, gets diagnosed with cancer. Four years later, she's dead. Horrible. But she ate healthy her whole life. My dad, on the other hand, did not eat healthy. In fact, his dad, I was just with my family, uh, or his side of the family, 
None of his kids ever remember him seeing him eat a vegetable even one time. He lived to his high 90s. How is that fair? The worst diet in the history of the world, he lives into his 90s. My mom, salad. Why is it that good people have bad things happen? One of the people in our community, she runs the COVID um, ward for the children's hospital. You sit with her in a minute and you're just going, all these beautiful young kids coming in, sick as a dog. Kids who don't deserve to be sick, who have their whole life in front of them. Putin invades another country, gets unbelievably wealthy, like 70 billion dollars wealthy. That's a billion with a B. Billion. These little kids who've done nothing wrong are sick and dying. Does any of this seem fair to you? When you think about your world and you think about these stories, because we all have them, right? Somebody who's done like amazing things and is poor, somebody who does nothing but bad things and does super well, lives till they're 90. Does that feel just to you? Because I struggle with this. There's actually, our spiritual ancestors have been thinking about this for, let's say, 4,000 plus years now. And their solution to this problem, these questions, why is the world unfair? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to bad people? They have a solution I did not see coming. And it comes in the form of the afterlife. If you read back to our earliest writer's ancestors, this is what they thought of of an afterlife. So when you think, when I use the word afterlife, what pops in your head? Heaven, hell, burning, blah, 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 angels, harps, halos, whatever. Our earliest ancestors had a word for what happens after you die. They called it sheol. It's a Hebrew word. It means, it means a bunch of things, but let me use a, a more common word. It means the grave. When you die, what happens after you die is you go into the grave. You're dead. When you're dead, you're dead. There's nothing after that. There's no life after death. There's nothing that goes on. The first thousands of years of thinking of our spiritual ancestors said, when you die, you die. There's nothing. So live the life you can because this is all you got. Be loving. Be merciful. Because when you're dead, you're dead. The poets would say things like, Oh, God, save me from Sheol. <laughs> it's a nice way of saying, can I live a long life? Now, again, when you have an afterlife conception, like, where's Gregory? There we go. You know, he's got a whole history of afterlife conceptions that we read back into the text, and it means something different then. But really, it just meant, when you're dead, you're dead. And there's something kind of intuitively beautiful about that. Has anyone died and come back from the dead and seen what's happened after you've dead? Any afterlife people? No? 
it makes sense because this is what we know. We know life. And so it makes sense to focus on life. But what do we do with the Vladimir Putins? A guy who seems to be doing horrific things and getting unbelievably wealthy by it. How do we deal with that? Because it doesn't seem fair. That's when the evolution of the afterlife came. We don't know exactly when it came. It happened over a period of time. But all of a sudden, somebody or some group of people started to say, well, wait a second. What happens if this world isn't all there is? Now, don't jump to where you're thinking, heaven and hell yet. We're not there yet. They said, what happens, what would happen if the world here is unfair? You know, Johnny has 100 camels and he gives half his camels away for charity and blah, blah, blah. But Frankie over here steals camels nonstop and he's unbelievably wealthy. That's what they're thinking. How do we deal with this? Someone said, well, what, what if there's something after we die? They said, what if, what if after you die, there's this big chunk of time and then you're resuscitated? And that's a very particular word, resuscitated. Our first spiritual ancestors thought of the afterlife as our bodies coming back alive. In their minds, body is all we had. Breath, ruach, it's the, the word for life. Life is breathed into us when we're first born, right? The first thing we happen is the Actually, I don't know. Do they still slap babies on the bum to make them cry? Does anyone know this? I don't know. Whatever they do nowadays when, they give, when children give birth. But the first thing that happens is they take a breath, right? Ruach. You have life. And now life happens until the very end, and you take your last breath, and then you're dead. They said, what if, what if after a time after you die, Ruach came back? Our bodies were resuscitated. This was a cool evolution because here's what they did. They said, what if the good people were resuscitated and the Putins, they stay in Sheol, they stay dead, nothing. And suddenly the problem of evil, this problem of why do good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people, starts to have a solution. We look around and we go, it doesn't seem to be working in this world. Putin's getting unbelievably wealthy and I'm not. But what if there's a time later when the good people are resuscitated and the bad people stay dead? And that's our first evolution of an afterlife conception. When you read the book of Job, the book of Job is about this guy. The book basically starts, there's a, a beginning section. I'll talk about that in two weeks. We're going to put that aside. But the beginning of the section just basically says this, Job is a good guy. And then it spends a bunch of time telling you how good he is. He is a saint. He is like the Mother Teresa of the Bible. He does everything right. He does, he's not even does good things for himself. He does good things for other people just for shits and giggles, pardon my French. But like, he's just that good. But then a storm blows in. His kids are all having a party. The building collapses and kills them all. Horrible. Not meant to be a real story. Good people, bad things. His entire herd gets stolen and killed. It ends up that he is so sick, he's got nothing. He's sitting underneath like a, a tarp. He doesn't even have a house anymore. He's covered in sores. 
He's a good person and bad things. And the whole book is trying to figure out what happened. How is it that this has happened to you? But part of the way through the story, there's this idea that says, well, maybe when you're resuscitated, this will all be rectified. And we'll see that you were good. You'll be able to live out the life that you deserve. It's a beautiful, beautiful idea. Because it solves the problem of why do good things happen to bad people? Why is the world not fair? The afterlife was the solution. I did not see that coming, folks. When I was reading through it, I was like, that's how they'd solve that problem? But here's the thing. We're not at heaven and hell yet. What we have is we have a physical resuscitation. That means we have physical bodies, and those physical bodies need to have a physical place. You got to feed them. They're going to go to the bathroom. It happens. If you put them, light them on fire, they will die, and then there will be no more. They can't float. They don't have wings. There's no halos. It's a physical world that happened in the future. So we're not quite there yet. So fast forward a little bit. Alexander the Greek, Alexander the Great, sorry. (laughs) The Greek influence starts to influence the culture of the area. Well, the Greeks had a different view than the, the early Israelites. Israelites, Ruach, remember Ruach in your body? It's the same thing. When you have breath, you have life. When there's no breath, it's done. The Greeks had this really interesting idea. They said, well, what if there was this kind of thing where there's Vince, the body, but then there's the soul of Vince? They're separate. The early, our early Christian ancestors would have laughed at this, been like, oh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> soul separate from a body? <laughs> Idiots. But over time, that started to weave its way into the culture. And suddenly people started to express their conception of the afterlife through this new philosophy. And we have the second evolution of our afterlife conception. This idea that there's a soul and the soul is eternal. We can kill the body, but the soul lives on. And so some of you who grew up in church or who understand from the Simpsons how uh, traditional church works, You're going, wait a second, I'm seeing how this is going. But there's something different. First, when we separate the body out from the soul, the afterlife can be in the soul. Now we can do all kinds of cool stuff. We can put somebody in a lake of fire if we want to. Because there's no body. We don't have to worry about keeping it alive. We can have someone float. They can get wings. They can have ten heads. I don't know. You just have a soul. But our earliest ancestors still conceived of you die, and then there's this time in the future when the soul is resurrected. It was dead. There's this dead period. If you look at all of Jesus' teachings, he's talking about this. Does anyone remember the Lord's Prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be the name. Thy kingdom come. You know that line? That's this. At some point in the future we will be resurrected. Not bodies, souls. This will become very, very important in two weeks. That gap is mostly what we see in the Bible. 
At some point in the future, the kingdom will come. But we can't have heaven and hell yet. This whole like waiting to the end, that doesn't make any sense. And so what the early people after Jesus, they started to think, well, wait a second. That doesn't seem fair. I live a good life, my whole life. I do everything I'm supposed to do. And at some point in the future, I get rewarded for it. How lame is that? So what they started doing is they started kind of on, this, on the basis of fairness saying, well, what if it, it you know, let's wait a thousand years. What if it's only a hundred years? Or what if it's 10 years? Or what if it's 10 days? And at some point they evolved and said, what happens if when we die, our soul separates from our body and it goes to the afterlife? And now we can have a conception of heaven and hell. This isn't in the Bible, though. The Bible is all written on those earlier conceptions of the afterlife. You die, you die. Or the next one. You die and at some point in the future, your body is resuscitated if you're good. When I realized that all the study I'd done in the Bible didn't support this conception of heaven and hell. It only happens after something shifted in me. Honestly, I was looking at the Christian tradition through this lens of heaven and hell. Everything was backwards. It was like, well, of course heaven and hell. That's the whole point. That's the whole thing. And when I studied it, I realized, wait a second, that's not even part of it. There's this whole part of the tradition called wisdom literature. It can be translated as how to live in this life well. How to live a good life. When you have an afterlife conception, you don't even worry about that stuff. The question is, where do I go when I die? There's one more evolution that I haven't told you about, and I'm not going to. I'm going to tell you guys in two weeks. It kind of muddies the water, but it's, it's a really cool way. It's how we get to things like the devil and angels and demons and all that stuff. But for now, I want you to start seeing the Christian tradition and your journey. What if you see it in a different way, not reading heaven and hell backwards into the tradition, but reading the breadth of the tradition into your life today? Because I don't know if, if you're like me, when I was studying this, the first question that popped in my head was, well, what's right? Is, is heaven and hell right? Is it right that there's an eternal soul and at some point after I die, it gets resurrected? Or is it that no, it's resuscitation, there's a physical thing, or is there no afterlife at all? What's, what's the right answer? I don't know if you've been around Friend Church a long time. For those of you who are new, this will sound a bit weird. That question, what's right, is what we call stage two spirituality. It's a way of thinking about spirituality. It's an ideology that says there is one right answer and we're all going to agree on it. And so I'm going to stand up here as the pastor and I'm going to tell you the right answer and you're all going to nod your heads. Yes, Vince, yes. 
And we're all going to agree. That's stage two spirituality. At part, when you first are starting your spiritual journey, that makes sense because you're going, I don't know what else to do. Jeez. If we don't agree on this, like how, I don't know how to do a spiritual journey. If we all agree, then at least I have some comfort. I have certainty. It feels very nice. But for many of us, that ideology started to shift at some point. We started to ask questions. Wait a second. How does this work? So, if I live a good life and then do one thing bad, I'm going to go to hell? Wait a second. If I don't say some prayer that somebody told me I'm supposed to say that's not even the Bible, somehow that's going to have something to do with my afterlife? I don't know. I'm buying into this anymore. For many people, this is where they feel like they've exited the spiritual journey. No, no, no. This is the evolution of your spiritual journey. You've now evolved into this next stage. We call it stage three. Early stage three doubts everything. You start throwing things out the window. (laughs) Screw that. Screw that. But you tend to still go, okay, I don't buy into what everyone, you know, growing up, what Simpsons tells us to buy into. I'm not buying into that. But what's the new right thing? Vince, what's the new right thing? The answer is I don't know. Because I think asking the question, what is the right answer, is the wrong question. Stage three says, I don't buy it. But still, it's looking for the right answer. When we evolve into stage four, something shifts inside of us. We let go of the need for certainty. We let go of the need to have the right answer. We let go of the need to know what everyone believes and make sure that we're all believing the same thing. All that fighting that happens in stage two and three, that goes away. And now I want to go through the afterlife through a lens of stage four. Now, if some of you, (laughs) the fact that I just said there's stages of spirituality and you're just going like, whoa, no worries. Stage two is awesome. It truly is. It's comforting. It's relaxing. If your brain never asks questions, if it never doubts, yay you. It will be easier for you. And if that's not your experience, if you're like mine, you're like, like, wait a second. Sorry, you're in stage three. It's just... It sucks. You got to deal with it. Luckily, we're all in stage three. Or at least a lot of the time I am. But I want to give you a picture of stage four. Stage four doesn't ask what happens after we die. It doesn't want to know the right answer. It's asking a different question. So let's rewind, everyone. What was the very first view of the afterlife? When you die... You die. Think about that for a second. I was talking to Lori just uh, before the service. I won't share his story, so I'll share my story. I grew up with a lot of sick family. My dad was sick my whole life. I remember Christmases where we put him in the hospital on Christmas Eve, and we didn't know if he was going to come home after that. My life is colored by this idea that when you die, you die. It can happen at any second. What do you think happens when you have that view? You don't focus on what's going to happen after I die. You focus on right 
now. My sister's pissing me off. I'm like, screw her, I'm not calling her back. Screw her. Okay, but if I die tomorrow and there's nothing else, I pick up my phone. When you don't, when your conception of an afterlife is you're dead, you're dead, all you focus on is here and now. You're not going, hey, if I do this, what's going to happen in some afterlife over here? You're going, no, 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 no. What if I do? What if I treat my wife poorly today and I make hell for her? I don't have to worry about an afterlife. I got it right now, right here, right today. And suddenly, all of our focus, when you have this conception of the afterlife, all of the focus is on how do I live my life? How do I treat the people I love with love and kindness? How do I deal with strangers? How do I make the world the way it is? If you notice, Friend Church, we talk a lot about this part of our spirituality. Because it focuses us on our behavior, on our actions, and our influence right here, right now. That's a pretty beautiful piece of our spiritual journey, isn't it? And we get there by realizing that in stage four, we're not sure which conception is the right. We're not even worried about that. It's saying this conception that says when I die, I die. If I bring that into my awareness today, I live my life for today. And that changes things. But what happens when I'm reading through the list of the richest evil people in the world? And I see things like Vladimir Putin and I go, well, that's not right. I have friends who, the nicest people in the world, cannot catch a frickin' break. I was riding with one guy yesterday. We're just going through his last year of all the things, you know, divorce, sickness. Like, it's just, he is getting kicked. He was miming how, like, he's getting kicked and then he falls over and just when he gets up again, the life kicks him again. And he's like, it's over and over and over. And he's just trying to live a good life. He's just trying to love the people in his world. Why do bad things happen to good people? When I'm in that space... I connect into that other conception of an afterlife. This idea that we will be resuscitated and the good people will get life and the bad people will stay dead. And I go, maybe there is a future that's fair. We were in Italy a while ago. in a, a ferry lineup. We're all in the lineup. We're all tourists. And a local walks up to the line that there's no line. He just walks right up to the door or the window and starts ordering his ticket. And there's a lady. <laughs> I'm not going to say where she's from, but it re- reminds with, or it sounds a lot like United States. I'm just saying. <laughs> she is losing her mind. We're, we're all lined up. It's like, maybe eight in the morning. I have no clue what time it is, but it's like in the morning and she's screaming, this isn't fair. You're not being fair. You're not doing it right. And he's just completely ignoring her. The ticket guy is just like, everyone's ignoring her. She's looking at all of us like, this is not fair. And you're right. 
There's stuff all through the world that's not fair. There's things that happen. You go, this should not have happened. That person should not have gotten sick and died. That person should catch a break. That person should not get ahead. And when I'm in that space, I connect into this idea of an afterlife that says, at some point in the future, everything will become fair again. Justice will happen. And then I don't have to be like that lady at the ticket line. I'm not the justice police that has to be like, this isn't right and you're not right and blah, 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 and la, la. You know, get all anxious and like, how, I can't, huh, huh. No, don't worry. At some point in the future, everything will be made right. Can you let go of being the fairness cop for a second? Man, when I get all, that conception of the afterlife feels beautiful on my soul. I'll admit, it goes a bit further. Does anyone know the word schadenfreuden? It's a German word. (laughs) For those of you who don't read German, it's to get pleasure from someone else's pain. When I'm in a really dark place, I'm thinking about what might happen to Putin after he dies. And I'm getting some joy out of that. Like, screw him. Now, I don't know what's going on in his life, but I get some schadenfreude out of that. Now, let's do one more thing. We talked about this first conception of when we look at stage four and we look at the afterlife of when you're dead, you're dead, we're focused here. When we use stage four to look at um, a conception that we are resurrected and good people live and bad people just don't live, maybe even have a bad experience after that. We can let go of being that cop. We can look at a world and go, it's not fair right now, but at some point in the future, it will be fair again. <sighs> but when I'm missing my mom, she's been dead maybe 10 years now, I miss her. This idea that we have an eternal soul and that my mom's soul is out there. And she's looking down on me and saying, hey, how you doing, buddy? I can look at her and be like, hey, mom. That feels amazing, doesn't it? That conception of an afterlife where our soul is separate from our bodies and it's eternal. The people that we've lost, the people that we're missing, we can feel a connection to them again. Still. As I finish this message, what conception of an afterlife do you need to tie into today? That's what I've been wrestling with. Can I get the band to come up on stage? Is it that you need to be more present in this moment? Stop thinking about what happens after we die. Stop thinking about fairness. Stop thinking about all that and go, okay, okay, how am I going to live my life today? How are my actions going to impact the world? Do you need to go to this other place where you're not the fairness cop? You're not worried about all, hey, that's not fair. That's not fair. What about that? No, no, no. At some point in the future, things will become fair again. Or are there people that you've lost 
people that you would love to connect with again. And this idea of an eternal soul, they're still out there. And you can connect with them again. What conception of an afterlife do you need to tie into today? It's the beauty of stage four. The question isn't what is the right answer. The question is what do you need to tie into today to grow spiritually? For me, as I say it, I realize, yeah, my mom's birthday was a couple days ago. I'm feeling that connection to the eternal soul. When I read the news and I watch this whole Ukraine thing, I'm pissed. But I need to realize I can't be the fairness police. When I tie into this idea that, hey, in the end, I don't know what's going to all happen, but fairness is going to happen, I can relax. And as always, how do you need to live your life today to make heaven on earth? That's what I'm going to leave you with. I asked the band to come back up. I want you to really read these lyrics. There's afterlife. It's all through the afterlife. But read the different conceptions of afterlife and how the songwriter is holding them all open at the same time. He says a line, and I'm going to butcher it, but there's something like, um, I'm not scared of the fires of hell, but it has something to do with what I'm going to do today. He's trying to hold this all at the same time. And that's what I would encourage you to do today. As you watch it, ask yourself, which one do I need to take into my heart today and live out this week? Before I, actually I'll come back up. Go for it. I've tasted fire I'm ready to come alive I can't just shut it up and fake that I'm alright burns my skin The way I feel inside The way the day begins I'm running now I'm not waiting for the other side
ready now. I'm not waiting for the afterlife. It's a beautiful comment. My prayer is that we hold the holistic view of all the different views of our spiritual ancestors and use those to inspire our spiritual journey today and every day. I can use an old school term, amen, which is kind of like, hell yeah, and you guys go, hell yeah. Next week, Jeff is going to take this, so we've built this whole framework, right? You guys now have an ideology that understands how afterlife has evolved. Jeff is going to start bringing in this, what happens to the bad people, because it starts with where we did, you don't get resuscitated, ha-ha, schadenfreuden, right? But he's going to take it out into this whole, like, hell, the lake of fire nonsense and all that stuff. It is going to be a blast. So have a great week, everyone. Um, we're going to have a discussion group after if you want to join us. Some of you guys, might this might be new to you. Some might be a bit triggering. Come, let's discuss. It's a safe place to just kind of open up with ideas. Have a great week. We'll see you next week, everyone.